Well, it's All-Star Weekend almost. We'll go ahead and jump to that. This is Jonathan Fagan with Danielle Lerner in another edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. So, Danielle, should we get excited about the last game before All-Star break or just go ahead and jump to rising stars, which I guess the NBA has now made official. The Rockets have some of those. I mean, I, I think everyone is is kind of ready for that All-Star break, whether you're going to be in Cleveland covering rising stars or watching rising stars or uh, maybe in Cabo relaxing on a beach for, for some of these guys. So I'm going to Cleveland. You're going to Cabo. Is that what we have learned so far? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I won't, I'll try not to rub it in. It'll be lovely in Cleveland in February. Yeah. Which, by the way, how did the NBA decide? I mean, what did the Rockets do to the NBA to where there's teams, we're, we're talking now, I, what is it, Wednesday morning, and there are teams already on the All-Star break. The Rockets have a back-to-back that ends with a game that doesn't start till 10.30 Eastern time. On Thursday, those guys fly a red eye through the night. They land, I think, at around 6.30 a.m. They have media availability at 9, practice, a community event, the game to play that night, and then Jalen Green's in the dunk contest the next night. He He's young, but he's going to be old by the time this weekend's over. Yeah, if, if there's anything that causes gray hairs, it might be a, a schedule like this, but... I don't know. I mean, people were complaining, you know, over these past few days before the the Rockets played in Utah, like, oh, like they've they've had this little break already and everyone else is playing games. And it's like, yeah, well, they're playing three games in four days uh, against very tough West Coast contenders. Well, you know, it used to be there'd be one Thursday night game before All-Star so that TNT would have something. And they'd also hype up the All-Star. They'd do their show from there. So there'd be the one game. But the idea of having, and there's only three, so it's not like they couldn't avoid it, but have one of them in L.A. on the Thursday night when the All-Star Weekend is in Cleveland. Somebody didn't think that out. And so that's not ideal. Uh, I guess they'll get over it, and it's not mandatory you be a rising star, even though the three guys the Rockets have in the game, uh, Jalen Green, Jay Sean Tate, and Alperin Shingun, are very happy about it. They're looking forward to it. But uh, it's enough whining. You could tell I'm already dreading uh, how to get there and and deal with the, that crazy schedule. But I do hope you enjoy Cabo. Uh, that'll be good. Uh, and you know what? The Rockets, it's good for them. Uh, just change the subject for a few days because it's been rough. I mean, they are, it, it, as a, there's individual progress. You can look at a lot of guys and see how they've improved. We mentioned Jalen Green. Uh, last six games, I believe, he's shooting 38.5% on threes. Uh, he's finding his spots better. He, he's got a streak of double-digit scoring, so he doesn't put out the duds anymore offensively. Def- defensively, he's better, which was his real issue. And you can do that in many spots. Overall, as a team... They're not making progress in their worst areas, turnovers, defense, free throw shooting. Uh, it's just, no wonder they're losing all the time. <laughs> you, can't, you can't win if you don't play defense, you turn the ball over, and you take more free throws than any team in the league while shooting the worst percentage. 
That's a lot of lost possessions. You can see that in the box score too, not just by looking at the turnover numbers, but just the number of field goals attempted by the Rockets compared to other teams. Sometimes it's drastically different just because the Rockets are wasting their own possessions or they're giving the other team extra possessions off of offensive rebounds. Well, there is that. And, you know, if the difference in turnovers is five, you know, 17 to to 12, that, that's a pretty significant difference. When you add all the possessions, they go to the line, which is supposed to be a good thing, and you miss your free throws, you're taking fewer shots. You know, if you come away, you know, averaging less than two points, uh, a good deal less because you're missing free throws per possession, you'd be better off not getting fouled. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And so as a team, they're not growing but you can look at individual growth, and uh, some of it stalled a little bit. Uh, Alpi has really stalled. He, he had some good moments offensively. Defensively has been borderline disaster. Uh, Utah was just terrible, uh, and so he has struggled. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. has really come on well. Uh, he had some really good shooting games. After he got over the respiratory infection, didn't shoot well in Utah, but his point guard play has improved in ways you would not have predicted. You know, he scored 50 last year on the Bucks. You figure he could score, but his point guard play has been way steadier. Uh, not, we're not talking Chris Paul here running the offense, but, you know, taking care of the ball, making good decisions, setting guys up, uh, getting them into their offense. He has really made strides. I guess that's how it has to be. Kind of like All-Star Weekend where a team sport becomes more individual. If you're evaluating the Rockets and looking at where they are, you can't really look at where the team is because it's pretty terrible. You know, lost 9 out of 10, third worst record in the league. But individually, there is some growth. Well, and I guess should we take a look at the new additions that they got at the trade deadline? We saw saw that in Utah. You were there, saw Dennis Schroeder get his first uh, look at, at being on the floor with the Rockets, which, by the way, I think the last podcast we did, I was saying Dennis Schroeder because that's how you would pronounce it in German, but he pronounces it Schroeder. No. In the video, no, in the video, Schroeder. in the video that he did on the Rockets Twitter account a few days ago, he said, this is Dennis Schroeder. So now I'm second guessing yeah, everything. Him. I asked him on the court. Okay, settle the debate. All right. Say the name. Is it Dennis so, Schroeder? I think he's messing with us then. I think he's obviously, this is his game. You know, I heard that he did that once in Atlanta too, at the, at the PA guy, where the guy was pronouncing it. He double checked and he told him the opposite that he had previously said. But I asked him on the court in Utah, okay, settle the bet, pronounce it. And we all heard Schroeder. Uh, you know what it is? It's kind of between the two. And he said, after he said it, but you guys can't pronounce it right. And we looked at each other and said, that doesn't sound hard to pronounce, Schroeder. It's, it's sort of in between the two. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, but anyway, as far as, you know, the thing about Dennis is – People are getting all worked up, and I understand why, that how do you bring in a veteran? He's in his ninth year. You have no bird rights to sign him as a free agent. He's at the end of his contract. He's probably going to move on, right? He doesn't seem to fit 
their future at all. His timeline can sort of coincide. He's a young guy because he got in the league at 19, but it, it doesn't really seem to fit very well with the Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, two new draft picks, Alpi Sangoon rebuild. So what's the point? Why give him minutes, especially because those minutes have to come from somebody. In the first game, they came largely from Josh Christopher. Some of that was because the substitutions didn't work out. There was no dead ball. But the other argument, and I think both are valid, so I'm not going to do the modern hot take version of, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. This is the only way it can be. I can understand both arguments. It doesn't help Josh Christopher to try and fail to run the offense when that's probably not his role in the future or let him get some success as a shooting guard where he works with a point guard. Let him do things he can do well and build on that rather than just flounder doing something he's probably not going to be asked to do that much. It's not a bad argument. And it's one he has sort of embraced that, yeah, I get to be at my regular position now. I understand the arguments both ways. And we'll have to see how it plays out. Does it help him? Does it help others? I mean, what we saw that second unit was a disaster against the Pelicans and uh, Raptors. Maybe it's it'll help sort of stabilize things so young guys can flourish a little bit, which can be good too. Yeah, I mean, I think the... The other thing, obviously, it will impact Josh Christopher in some way, but the other thing is DJ Augustine is no longer here. And that was kind of the role that he was taking on, was being the the stabilizer in that second unit and running point. And so it's not as if there was, you know, Dennis coming in and elbowing his way into a spot that was not created. There was a little bit of a void because the Rockets waved Augustine and waved Armani Brooks. Armani Brooks really was not eating up a lot of minutes. So that doesn't really count. But DJ Augustine, certainly, um, you know, some of Dennis's minutes are going to come from there, but some of them will come. Um, yeah. So some of them are definitely coming at Josh Christopher's expense. But like you said, uh, Josh seems pretty comfortable with the fact that, okay, now I get to go back to doing something that I think I'm more well-suited to do. And you made this point in the story you wrote yesterday, um, as did Steven Silas, Dennis coming into the league as a 19-year-old, that can mean something when he's talking to all these other rookies that came into the league as 19-year-olds. He understands where they have been. He can help them out in that way, even if he's just here for a limited time. And I know we've talked all season about kind of the value of the few veterans the Rockets have had, like Augustine and Gordon, kind of taking on that mentorship role for all of their younger players. And maybe that People are tired of hearing about that, but I, I think that Dennis can definitely do that same sort of thing. A little bit. And plus, it's also a reminder. He averaged 4.6 points as a 19-year-old rookie. A couple of years ago, he was runner-up for sixth man of the year. And so it does take a little time. And, you know, I know it's hard to be patient or it's easy to say we understand. And, and I think people truly do understand but then loss after loss after loss, it does try patience. I can understand why that's hard to do. So maybe he's a reminder of that. Uh, you know, the other thing that I think people don't get, or 
maybe forget a little bit is the Rockets' top priority, I understand, and I think fans understand, is growth. It's development, rebuild, all of that. That's the top line. It's not the only line. If you're the coach of the team, if obviously if you're the players on a team, you are also at the same time trying to win. And a coach in particular, he has to coach the team with that in mind. Now, you could set up the roster in a way that prioritizes development. You know, you can release T.J. Augustine and do things like that in the name of development. But when you it's 7 o'clock at night or 7.30, now you're trying to win the game, you know. And I think that gets lost a little bit in the, why is he playing at all? Well, he's on the team. He's in uniform. They gave him sneakers. They're going to try to win the game. That is also part of it. And I think it's something you owe to your guys when you're asking them to work hard, when you're asking them to study at the video sessions and work through the practices. Okay, now I'm going to try to win. I think that's one way to lose a team too, if you don't coach to win. So that's another argument for, okay, he's a nine-year veteran and he's playing. That's an argument for why. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think these guys, they're all competitive for a reason. They want to win. It's hard on them to lose. They don't like this. They don't enjoy um, being where they are in the standings. And, you know, especially look at guys like Eric Gordon and Christian Wood, who, you know, they were potential trade pieces. And they both said, like, we would like to stay here. They didn't want to stay because they enjoy being on a 15-win team necessarily. Like, they wanted to stay because they felt like they were within a good group. They're obviously playing a lot. They're still trying to win. If Silas just all of a sudden gave up and said, okay, we're going to start all of our rookies and like David Nwaba, well, they're not going to win games that way. And then their other good players and the players that they're playing, even the young guys are going to feel a little more defeated. So yeah, I think that that's a good point that there is still that, that line to remember that these guys want to grow and develop, but they don't want to necessarily do it at the expense of winning every single time. Which brings us back to the topic we've covered a lot, but people still talk about it, is John Wall. Okay, why is Dennis Schroeder playing and John Wall isn't? Well, partly because John Wall didn't want to play in this way. He didn't want to play 18 minutes a game and sit with five minutes left to have somebody who on some nights, isn't even playing as well, finished the game. Uh, that was something he agreed to. At least he said he did. And he was very clear about that. The Rockets agreed, okay, we get it. We'll pay you $43 million to to watch the games. Now he's watching them from Miami, and I don't even know if he's watching them. Uh, that's fine. You know, we made an agreement. That's it. People kind of lost sight a little bit. Not, I think... Rocket fans, people who really follow the Rockets didn't. But there are those who noticed, hey, the nine-year veteran is playing. Why isn't John Wall playing? Well, John Wall didn't want that role. And the Rockets were okay with that. I think John would have been better for his career if at some point he took that role and showed that he was willing and able to do that. That didn't happen. So he can he sits. He didn't get tra- dealt at the trade deadline. No big shock there. You know, it's unfortunate, but in the name of trying to develop and win games, having him in that role would have been good for everybody, I think. 
unfortunately, it's just been so long since there's been any change on that front. And, you know, I think people ask every week and it's like, well, when something changes, we will let you know. But that's that all quiet on that front. Yeah, that, that story is a little old. I think the Dennis Schroeder thing gave it a new, little bit of new life. But the way things have progressed since James Harden walked out of town, which apparently, you see, this is what we do in segueing in podcast world, which apparently was uh, also a mutual decision. Now, a lot of people noticed that when James said yesterday at his Philadelphia press conference, which differs from his Brooklyn press conference, which differs from his, I just showed up for training camp with the Rockets press conferences. He said it was mutual. Everybody thought it was best if I moved on. A lot of people thought they laughed at that. And I think that's not fair. It was absolutely mutual. Both sides agreed. As soon as James burned down the house, neither one wanted to live there anymore. So cut him a break. He's right. The Rockets agreed with him. As soon as he destroyed everything, both sides thought it wasn't so good. He's told the truth-ish. Yeah. I got nothing for that. I, I did this whole big soliloquy to a punchline, and I got nothing. Look, chalk it up to you being exceptional all the time, so I'm just not surprised anymore at your turns of phrase, you know? I think it wasn't much of a punchline. <laughs> I, I, I think the punchline left a little to be desired. However, I think it's right. Yeah. They agreed. The night before the trade, they agreed it was a good idea to trade him. The, the four months before that, he might have been out in front on that. Obviously, everyone saw you know the night that the trade went down when they had the All-Star draft with LeBron James and Kevin Durant, um, that Harden was picked last. Durant would not pick him for his team. And uh, one of the TNT guys, I think, asked Durant, like, if you could go back and make some other trade, like, do you have anything else that you want to do? And he goes, oh, no, I think I'm done making trades for today. I think we're all good. So I think, you know, in, in this case, whereas, as you said, like the Rockets, they were content at that point when Harden wanted to leave to let him go. The Nets, I think there was maybe a little bit more of a struggle where, you know, some of the front office still wanted to try and make it work, especially with, you know, Kyrie being so limited. Um, but at, at that point, I think, like Durant and some of the other people probably had to realize like if he doesn't want to play, if he's going to sit, if he's not going to try when he is out there, then there's nothing more that we can do at this point. But I, I do think that if Harden had not been injured or had put forth a little more effort, had seemed like he wanted to be there in any capacity, then the Nets would have been content to to keep him. And if Kyrie had his shots and was playing more often and practicing ever. That was unpredictable. And that might have made a difference too. But now it's okay. What happens in the East? The thing that has become more apparent since the trade deadline, when the debates began, who's going to win the trade? Who's going to be the better team, Philadelphia or Brooklyn? Simmons steps into Brooklyn. And particularly, we talked about this last week in the trade deadline podcast, when Simmons is playing with Joe Harris and obviously when Kevin Durant is back, Brooklyn can be really good. Maybe the Sixers still have that. But I think that got overlooked is the Celtics, ever since they got Daniel Tice back, are unbelievable. That that was the big trade. Getting Daniel Tice just tied it all together and, and the Celtics are the team to beat. 
I mean, yeah, when they go go up 50 on the on the Sixers like they did last night, um, I don't see a way to argue against that. Even beyond that, they're playing really well. They're, they're a fairly young team, but with a first-year coach, so or any new coach, it's going to take a little while. And Ime Adoka has them playing, has them defending really well. They've got closers. They've got talent. They're balanced. Have to see about Marcus Smart's injury, uh, sprained ankle, but, you know, so it's obviously not terrible. It's not Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers, but still, that, there hadn't been a lot of talk about the Celtics as the team to beat. I think there should be. Well, I think now there might be after what they did to the Sixers last night. But that team is looking really, when you're really, really good defensively and you have closers, you know, you're moving in the direction of Suns territory, you know, really good defensively and unbelievable in clutch situations. That's the Celtics right now. And that provides a good little opening for me to, to pivot into asking you about the, the Suns and the Rockets being in Phoenix. And part of that is, of course, the game that's going to be played. But part of that is Josh Christopher getting to go back to uh, the, the state where he played uh, in college for Arizona State. And you got to see a little uh, tribute to him uh, at Rockets practice yesterday uh, on the wall of the, the Sun Devils gym. Is that right? Yeah, it's funny. The the practice facility there is a very nice facility and they have giant murals of every Arizona State player to have made the NBA. Uh, the James Harden one is roughly twice the size of everybody else's. But the number 13 that they made so much noise about. When they walked in the gym, I was already there. When they walked in the gym, oh, and Silas walked the whole way across the two courts and the length of both courts and kind of rubbed the wall and said, hey, it's still wet. And, uh, you know, they made a bunch of noise. And he he seemed very happy to be back. Uh, But boy, they're playing a monster of a team tonight. The only team in the NBA, top five, in offensive rating and defensive rating. Obviously, that makes them by far number one in net rating and, you know, record, which that would be a little advanced analytics. But, yeah, their record is now five and a half games better than the Warriors for the next best record. So they're, they're running away with that. You know, they are really good defensively. They're, they have tremendous balance with, with a great scorer in Booker, uh, prototypical three and D guy in Mikael Bridges, who I think right now has got to be most improved candidate or maybe favorite. Chris Paul holds it all together. And then if the game is close, they're phenomenal. They are so good in the clutch situations. The Rockets are unusually good at that considering the two things that they're really bad overall. And they're very rarely in clutch situations. Uh, They're pretty good at it. Now, the the Suns are a world away, but I, I think the Rockets would be thrilled to have a chance to have it be a five-point game in the last five minutes tonight. Uh, I don't know that that will happen. You know, maybe this gets me freezing cold taked, but uh, the Suns are just, that is a championship team. And you play great defense and you win close games. Well, that, that's top of the list of things you want in a championship contender. Well, and considering lately how, how the Rockets have started off games, it seems like if you let that get away from you for a second against the Suns, all of a sudden you're out at, at a 20-point, 30-point deficit. Yeah. 
It's, it's not even just beginning. It's even, okay, you're up five, three minutes into the second quarter. Not, wow, look at this. And then, oops, some turnovers, things get out of control. And as you say, the Suns have averaged 14 steals. 14 steals. That means that's 14 live ball turnovers, not including things that aren't steals, a game uh, against the Rockets. That turns a close game into a blowout really fast, especially here in footprint center, whatever that means. So, yeah, that, that's a tremendous team. Well, I mean, you're, you're kind of match up. Last game was a matchup of the best offense in the NBA, the Jazz against the worst defense in the NBA, the Rockets. This is the best team in the NBA against one of the worst teams. So not an ideal way to go into the break. And then they play the Clippers who, you know, they have injuries. They've got guys out between Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Norman Powell. And yet they beat the Warriors, took the Clipper, took the Suns to the last minutes. And that's who the Rockets get in the second half of the back-to-back going into the break. The NBA is a cruel league. It can be rough. It's going to be really rough, I would guess, in the next couple of days. Well, if you uh, don't feel like watching that uh, appointment television, you know, there is the, the All-Star Weekend festivities that will be on TV and you can watch the Rising Stars game, which, although they have more incentives to compete uh, this year, uh, I don't think it's going to be uh, as as tough of a competition for, for Jay Sean Tate, uh, Jalen Green, and Alfred Shangoon, so you feel the need for a little pick-me-up, you can watch that and then watch Jalen Green in the dunk contest on Saturday. Yeah, you know, his warm-ups, he's put out some really good dunks lately. You know, like he's not doing a lot of them in the warm-ups. It's not like he's not warming up. Like, and I don't mean warm-ups, like the real ones. You know, that the layup line portion. It's not like he's doing a ton of dunks and not taking some threes, not taking some regular shots, but he's put out some good dunks. You know, I've changed to thinking he's got a real chance. I, I don't think the Rockets are going to be like the big featured guys in the Rising Stars games. Maybe a little extra for Jay Sean Tate back in Ohio. Um, but the dunk contest, you know, this is one of those weekends where Jalen Green sort of can make himself a young NBA celebrity. And I think he's into it. I've talked to him a little about it a couple days ago. I think he's looking forward to that. It's, it's, uh, we talked about that crazy schedule he's got, and he said, yeah, but it's what I always dreamed of. And so, you know, he, he's embracing it, but we'll see how he feels Sunday night. You know, when it's over, you know, carry him out of there. You know, he'll look like Jimmy Butler in the bubble in that playoff game, uh, doubled over, uh, which would be a good image too. And as you say, hey, it's better than these games. Maybe we got to get him some of Jimmy Butler's coffee. Oh, give me some of that. You know, I, I don't know if Jalen's a big coffee guy, but I would, I, I'll make the trip to Tomball anytime. For what is it called? Big Face Coffee? I think so, yeah. I think it is. You know, road trip. We'll drink coffee during the podcast. We'll look forward to that. We'll have a whole bunch of All Star Weekend stuff to recap, looking ahead to the final 24 Rocket Games of the year. Thank you for being with us in another edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. Get it! wherever you get your podcasts, which I always enjoy saying every week. This is Jonathan Fagan for Danielle Leonard. Thanks again for being with us.